morning. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for your mercies on us again. Thank you for all the good things that you've given us as a congregation. Thank you for all the people who volunteer and give their time. Um, Thank you for providing for us financially. Thank you for giving us good leaders and good pastors. Um, I do pray for everyone who's not here with us today that you would bless them, that you would keep them. And I pray for our service today that um, you would continue to bless it, that you would help my words to be helpful to people and help their meditations to be good. We thank you for all your mercies. In Jesus' name, amen. We're talking about anger today. This is self-help summer still. We're going through the Proverbs, looking at, picking out themes from the Proverbs and talking about ways that we can glorify God better with our lives. And today we are talking about how to deal with anger. So I was thinking about all the times in my life that I've been angry. The first time I remember really being angry in my married life and this is not the first time I was married in my single life or married in my engaged life or anything like that, but the first time that I really remember having a knockdown drag out in, our, in, in, in married life was maybe three months, I think we got married in August, right? And then in December, we were on our way to a Christmas party, and for whatever reason, we had not eaten anything that whole day, so we were both hungry, and they weren't going to be serving dinner at the Christmas party, so we had to stop for some food on the way. And the thing that happened to be open, joy of joys, was Burger King. And we went through the Burger King drive through and got up to the menu, and I was like, what would you like, honey? And she said, oh, I'll have four chicken fingers, please. And I immediately started to get irritated, because I was just like, She's, that's not going to be enough food. She's going to steal some of my food. And I'm not happy about that. So I was like, are you sure, honey? Like, there's a lot of food on that menu. We've got money. The world's your oyster. Whatever you want. Uh, it's all yours. No, I'll just have four chicken fingers, please. Okay, because I'm going to get a, a double bacon stacker burger. And you can get your, your, your chicken fingers. And I'll eat my double stacker burger. And you can eat your chicken fingers. And that's the way that's going go to go, right? And she said, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not that hungry. And I'm like already, already mad. <laughs> so because I've, we've gone through this scenario before already in our, in our young marriage. So we go through the drive-thru and we get the double stacker burger. We get the chicken fingers. We start driving to the Christmas party. And I'm like, can I have my double stacker burger, please? And she's like, oh, I wouldn't want you to eat it while we're driving. That makes me feel unsafe. So, but I'll, I'll just be over here eating my chicken fingers. So she eats, I just watch, like, and she's eating a chicken finger, and then she eats another chicken finger, and then she eats another, and then she, and we're almost to the stupid party, and she eats the fourth chicken finger, and I'm like, I know what's going to happen next. And she just kind of innocently takes my burger out and is looking at it and starts to unwrap it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Wasn't the chicken fingers enough? Oh, I just want to look at it, maybe take a bite. And what she proceeds to do is take the bun off. And the way that a double, I don't know if double stackers even exist, because who wants to eat at Burger King if you're, you don't have to. But 
the way that a double stacker burger exists is, is two dry patties, and then it was like cheese and stacker sauce and bacon all in a glob, and that was the tasty part. And she proceeds to peel that off and eat it. Eat like all the bacon, all the sauce, all the cheese, just leaving two dry Burger King patties. And I don't go to Burger King to eat their burgers. I'm not a crazy person. And so I just got really mad. And, you know, this was one of 4,000 times where we're outside of a party waiting to go in and we're fighting, you know, desperately trying to, we're, we're both mad at each other and we're trying to get through it quickly so that we can go into the party and be like, hey, yeah, Merry Christmas. But I'm a jerk. I'm yelling. I mean, why did you, you ate my, I, I would have ordered anything off of the menu. I would have, it was right there. I told you, you could have anything you want. I just, and she's like, I left you both your burgers, honey. It's like, I don't want my stupid burgers. And it was a big fight. We were late for the Christmas party. We finally kind of got it tamped down enough that we could go into the Christmas party and do, you know, hi, Merry Christmas, everybody. Then we got done, and then we got back in the car, and then we continued to fight for another hour or something before we felt better. And I just never realized how angry of a person I was, how easy it was for me to get angry until I got married. The thing that I've said since then <laughs> is that the first year of marriage, I think, is a lot like kindergarten because you're learning to share, and you're learning to pick up your things again. But it's much better when you're a kindergartner than when you're in your 30s, like I was. Our subject is angry, anger today. How many of you would say that you're angry people? I won't ask for a show of hands, although it looks like I'm, I'm getting some. <laughs> um, are you an angry person? Do you, would you... You know, if you had to check a box, yes or no, would you say, I'm an angry person, or would you say, I'm not an angry person? I think anger is one of those sins that, it's, it's a little bit like time management. I just saw this study that people are terrible at knowing how much time they actually spend. If you ask them, like, how much time a week do you spend on laundry? They'll say five hours, or they'll say one hour, but inevitably it'll be seven hours or three hours. You know, it's like if you ask somebody, how much do you work? And they think that they work a lot. They'll say, I work 80 hours. Really, they work 60 hours. Or they'll say, I work 40 hours. And really, like, we're just really bad at actually keeping track of our time. And we don't have half of the intuition about it that we think we do. I think anger is actually similar. It's one of those sins that is casual for us. It doesn't actually register all the time. Like, if you actually kept an anger journal, not necessarily recommending this, but if you just for a week wrote down every time you were mad at somebody in traffic, every time you said a harsh word to your spouse, every time you did anything like that, every time you went off on somebody, every time you're just like, ah, I wish my boss would take a long walk in the sticks. Uh, how, many, how many of those times would you actually write that down? It turns out we're pretty angry. We're given to anger. I know I am. I mean, marriage was a real wake-up call because it's like, when you're single, you can just go get a double stacker burger. Nobody's going to stand in your way. But you're married, and all these little petty things, you realize, I have real, nasty, selfish desires. And Jesus says, when we're angry at someone, we murder them in our heart. It's like, I was murdering Meredith in my heart because of some stupid Burger King bacon. It's not even good. So I want to talk today 
about anger. I want to talk about bad anger and good anger. That's the first thing I want to do, because there is such a thing as righteous anger. So I want to talk about what those are. And then I want to talk about what anger of any kind leads to. And then finally, I want to talk about how to deal with our anger. So let's talk first about bad anger and good anger. And I want to go to the book of James, actually, first, which is kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a very practical, helpful, on-the-ground kind of, this is how you live out your Christian life book. And so it's a wonderful book of the Bible. I mean, I like them all, but uh, James is good. And James 4, let's read just verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. He's talking about quarrels. He's talking about fights. He's talking about conflicts in the church. He's also talking about anger, because I doubt very much they were all stabbing each other with knives. When he says murder, what he means is we're getting angry at each other. And we'll see later that anger and conflict are two sides of the same coin. They go together, right? So he's, he's, he's talking about, one way you could cast this is he's talking about why do we get angry with people? And why do we? Well, it's because you desire, you covet and cannot obtain. It's because you think you deserve something. It's because you want something. And this is a really important point. Bad anger, I think if you want a simple formula, bad, unrighteous anger always has at the heart of it, I deserve. I deserve something. In the case of my my stupid burger story, I thought I deserved to have my flesh gratified, to eat the burger that I wanted, when I wanted it, the way I wanted it, and anything standing in my way made me angry. Think about all the other times that you get angry, though. There's another big classic husband one we could talk about that happens in the bedroom sometimes where you want something and you don't get it, and maybe there's a legitimate reason. Maybe your wife actually has a headache. And even, or, or you have to, you know, actually, honey, we got to leave in a half an hour, whatever. Are you like, yes, that makes sense to me. No, <laughs> you get angry. You get angry because you deserve to have your flesh gratified. Again, why are we angry with our boss, with our coworkers? It's because we deserve to have a job that goes the way we want it to go. We deserve to have the pay scale that we want. We deserve to have the hours. And so we're angry because it's like, this is what it should be. This is what I deserve. And this is what it is. Why are we angry with our kids when we come home from work and there's toys all over and there's rowdy? It's because we deserve to have peace and quiet after a long day of work. Why are young mothers sometimes really angry at their toddlers? It's because I deserve to go five minutes without being bugged and without having somebody paw at my leg. And I'm angry about that. And I know I shouldn't be, but there's some deeply selfish thing within me that says I desire to just be left alone. Why are we angry with the teacher that assigns homework over Christmas break? It's because we deserved to not have to do homework over Christmas break. Why, why are we angry at the government? It's because we deserved life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever isn't giving it to us. 
our local state representative. I deserve to be able to go the speed that I want to. I wasn't hurting anybody. Why is this cop pulling me over? I'm angry. The angriest people that you know, people that live their lives in bitterness and anger, are people who think that they deserve something. You think about families that break down over time. I deserved this from my parents. I deserved this from my spouse. I deserved this. I deserved this. And I didn't get it. And I'm just angry. You think, you think about old people in nursing homes who are just angry, people that die angry. Why? It's because they deserve something from life or from their children or, or, or from how they wanted things to go. It didn't happen. Some people raise their kids this way. I was at somebody's house a while ago. Nobody here. Um, seriously, nobody here. But, and nobody in our church even. But, uh, you know, we were sitting at dinner and the, the kid was like, ah, that Mrs. Greenblum, she gave me a C minus. And the parents were like, ah, yeah, Mrs. Greenblum, she really has it in for you. What a, what a terrible teacher. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I know this kid and he's not Sir Isaac Newton. He's just not, he's not Einstein. Like, probably he just didn't do the work. Probably, I mean, I don't know, but probably he deserved the C minus. But you saw in that way and in lots of other ways that his parents were just inculcating in him, like, you deserve a certain kind of life and the people that don't give it to you, it's their problem. It's not that you need to work harder. It's that Mrs. Greenbaum needs to come along. Now, if you're paying attention and you're playing along, you may be thinking right now, okay, so Nathan, those are good things. Most all those things that you mentioned are good things. Are you saying we need to kill all desire? We need to not want anything. We need to not, you know, it turns out, we could talk about your language of I deserve, but, but there are good things that I should want in my life, good things that I should strive for including food, um, including sexual relations with my spouse, including good grades, including all the things that you just mentioned, like they're good, right? Are you saying we just need to kill those? It's wrong to really want them. No, 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 no. I'm saying we should subordinate those desires to God. It's not wrong to want any of those things, but those desires need to be subordinated to God. We need to have the big picture in our lives that, actually, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve anything from God except for hell. Every breath I take is a gift. Every good thing that I have, the fact that I've ever even tasted bacon, is a gift from God. And so I can't rail about the things that I don't have. There's a proper way to say, hey, Meredith, it would be nice if you didn't take the thing. You know, there's a way to talk through, work through these conflicts. We talk a lot about that kind of thing at Church of the King. But our baseline assumption has to be thankfulness. It has to be joy, contentment. And when we don't have that, we become angry. When we're afraid, I mean, so much, the great theologian Yoda said, Anger leads to fear. Or no, fear leads to anger. Yes, fear leads to anger. So much of this is we don't trust God, and so we're afraid. Like, if I don't get angry with Meredith about my burger, she'll never give me what I want. If I don't get angry, if I don't motivate myself through anger towards my boss, I will never get that raise. I can't trust God for those things. I don't trust God for those things. You know, it's the difference between the kid who says, when are we going to eat? And you say, in an hour, and they sweetly accept that. And the kid who 
well, you're going to need to wait an hour for dinner, little Johnny. And they stomp their feet and they get angry. In one case, the kid is sweetly submitting to your superior wisdom. He knows he may not get exactly what he wants when he wants, but he knows he'll get good things from you. He trusts he'll get good things from you. And so he's happy to let you be the parent and to wait an hour. It's not that he, he's killing the desire for food. It's just that he's willing to wait a little bit and trust you. And the other kid obviously isn't. And when we get angry, we're really saying to God, like, no, I should get what I want when I want. I should be God. I should be God down to getting bacon when I want it from Burger King. Bad Burger King bacon. So that, broadly speaking, is, is unrighteous anger. Unrighteous anger is fundamentally selfish. It's fundamentally grasping. It's fundamentally saying that you deserve something and you flare up because you're not getting that thing that you should get. What's righteous anger? Well, broadly speaking, we could say that if, if unrighteous anger begins with I deserve, I think righteous anger begins with God deserves. So for example, I mean, one of the most famous examples of anger in all of the Bible is Jesus becoming angry with the money changers in the temple because they've made his father's house into a den of thieves. So he gets angry and it turns into a violent conflict where he makes a whip and drives them out. There's real anger there. But it's not, insofar as Jesus is representing a man at this point, it's tricky because he's also God, but he's not angry on his own behalf, right? He's angry on his father's behalf. And we, there, there are times where we can have that kind of righteous anger. When we see things that are wrong, when we see injustices being done, when we see God not being honored. I mean, you could also say sort of a subcategory or another way of thinking about it is you could say another kind of righteous anger it begins with they deserve. You know, uh, abortion has been a big topic lately in the news. I, I think some of us are angry when we think about little uh, preborn babies being killed, and that's not always wrong. It's really, like I said, just a subset of God deserves. Like, God has made these creatures in his image. He said we're not to shed their blood. And so when someone defies our father like that, we can get angry. Now, it's all really tricky, though, right? It's all complicated because good anger can rage out of control and become bad anger. You know, I've, I've only ever actually, I think, protested at an abortion clinic once in my life. But if you do, you see all kinds of people, and it's pretty interesting. You see good anger and bad anger, I think. Like you see people who are controlled, who are kind, who are, on some level, I think you'd say, angry about what's happening, but they're not being a jerk about it. And then you see people who are just there, actually not because they, they want to honor God or even want to protect these babies. It's because, although they might say that, it's because they want some kind of personal catharsis. They want to yell and scream at people and they want to feel good. And so it, it, it masquerades as a God deserves or as a, the babies deserve, but it, it's actually a I deserve. And, and a lot of things that have some basis in righteousness can if you just allow your anger to rage out of control, become unrighteous. So that, very broadly speaking, that's bad anger. That's good anger. God, of course, 
has good anger. Ben alluded to it in his prayer of confession. God is wrathful against sin. So we can't say that all anger is bad. Sometimes we join God in his wrath towards sin. Sometimes we reflect his character by being that way. But again, it's very easy for anger, like a fire, to rage out of control and become personal. I deserve whatever. So what does anger do? What does it produce? Well, the Bible's pretty clear on this. It produces strife and destruction and foolishness. And now finally, we'll get to a few Proverbs. Just what does Proverbs say about anger? Let me just read, I think, four of them here. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. And this is one of my favorites, Proverbs 30, 33, because it's such a graphic image. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the no- nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. Anger produces strife. Like I said earlier, it's two sides of the same coin. You always got to pay attention, I think, to where the Proverbs just sound like they're saying kind of obvious things, because they're obvious things that King Solomon thinks, as the wisest man to ever live, we really need to hear. And it's fascinating. Like, okay, we all know when someone gets angry, they're liable to pick a fight with somebody. Like, that's not... Why does he keep telling us, like, anger produces strife, anger produces strife, anger produces strife? Well, it's because we really need to know that they're connected, and it's because we are actually practically in our lives tempted to not think that they're connected. I can think of a few reasons why. We, reason number one why we need to be reminded that anger produces strife is because when we get angry, when I get angry, I think that my anger is justified. You know, if you tell me a story about somebody being mad about a burger, then I'll say, what a silly husband that was. But in the moment, Meredith is being completely unjust, and I am completely justified, and this is a crime against humanity, and she must suffer. We, we think our anger is justified. We're just always like, you know, everybody else that gets mad in traffic is stupid. When somebody cuts me off, I deserve to be angry about that because I am God of my little universe. Another reason why we need to be reminded that anger produces strife, why Solomon just keeps hammering that home, is because many of us are tempted to use anger for fuel. There are people in this room who run on anger, who get out of bed in the morning like, ah, I don't want to get out of bed, but I'm angry, so I'll get out of bed. I'm angry about where God put me in life, or I'm angry about what's going on at my job, or I'm angry that I have to take care of kids, and it actually gives me some juice to get through my day. Have you ever gone to, maybe your life isn't like this by God's grace, but have you ever just had a day where you're actually very productive as you go through your job because you're angry at your boss or or angry about life or angry at what your wife or husband said before you left? And and it, it actually serves as a motivating force. It gives you energy and vigor. And it does. It does. It works. 
It's not good. It's not holy. It's not righteous. But it works. It feels good. There are people who live their whole lives just kind of using anger as a drug. And it's exactly like any other kind of drug. I mean, cocaine does make you high. It's not like cocaine is lying when it says it's going to do cocaine stuff to you. Drugs do make you feel good. Anger can make you feel good. It can serve to get you through the day. It can serve to get you through the year. It can serve to get you through the decade. But like any drug, it's just like using alcohol to fall asleep. Do you fall asleep? Yeah, if you drink enough, you'll fall asleep. But eventually you need more and more, and the cost you pay begins to grow exponentially. You cannot live your life in bitterness. You cannot live your life in anger. It, it leads to destructive things. And yet, many of us are tempted to do that. I think it's something we should all think about. Like, how much do I actually fuel myself on anger? And how do I fuel myself on anger? Final reason why we need to be reminded that anger produces strife, even though it seems obvious, is because we know that, but we think we can control our anger. Like, we think, I mean, it really is, kind of, again, like a drug, like, well, I can take a hit. I can, I can smoke a cigarette and not get addicted. I can take a drink. You know, I can, uh, whatever it is. We think we can have just a little bit. You know, I, and it won't have a destructive effect in our life. You think you can just yell at your spouse. You think you can just be harsh with your kids. Oh, they'll forgive me. Oh, they know that's, I'm just blowing off steam. You think you can just do these things and you can control them somehow. You won't cross whatever line you've set for yourself. And I don't know. I mean, you hear the awful stories, the, the horrible stories of people who do cross lines that they thought they'd never cross, you know, people who kill their kids, stuff like that. But also, maybe you'll never cross that line. But bitterness and anger destroys you. It eats out your insides. I mean, if you've ever actually known someone who dies angry, I think I had a grandmother who died bitter and angry at God and at the world. And it's a horrible, the toll it takes on your face, the toll it takes, the, the ugliness, the, the way it eats you. You know, the phrase, I'm being eaten alive. Well, it does. It does. I have people in my life who I think I can just be angry with, you know, people I'm related to, um, mostly. I think it'll just kind of bounce off of them, but it doesn't, <laughs> you know. Two days later, I'll be cleaning up that mess that I thought was just going to bounce off because somehow my anger is magical and doesn't have consequences. So anger produces strife. That's worth saying. Righteous anger produces strife. The, the sort of natural outpouring of anger is conflict. Jesus was angry at the money lenders, and then he went to war with the money lenders. God is angry with sinners, and then if they do not repent, he pours out his wrath on them. Anger and strife just go together. And sometimes that can even be a good thing. But we have to be awfully careful, and we have to be awfully careful about not justifying. You know, it's so easy to think of reasons why our anger is actually righteous anger. And most of those reasons are bad. So, how do we deal with anger? What do we do about it? How do we fight it in our lives? Because most of our anger, I think, if we're all being honest, we'll agree, most of our anger is probably unrighteous anger, right? How do we fight it? Well, first of all, we need to remember that all unrighteous anger is ultimately anger with God. I mean, 
however you would explain God's control over our lives, his sovereignty, like whatever theological words you would use, I think we all know God has a great deal of control over our lives. He is the ultimate control over our lives. And so when I'm angry about not getting the burger, I'm angry at this woman that God gave me. I'm angry at these kids, this job, this, it all goes back to God. And I've had moments in my life, I don't know if anyone will relate to this, but I've had moments in my life where I'll be angry about something that feels temporal, and then I'll realize I'm actually literally articulating in a very wicked way, anger towards God. I remember when me and Meredith were going to move to Evansville, we needed a little bit of additional income to come down here. And Jake's family and Ben's family had already moved down and we were eager to get down here. And we thought we had a little side hustle lined up for Meredith that was going to enable us to move down. And then like Saturday, that fell through. And then Sunday, we went to church in Bloomington the preacher, uh, the, the song leader got up and sang the song that goes like, I will wait on the Lord, I will wait on the Lord, I will wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. I think there's more lyrics, but that's all that my brain could hear. And I just remember sitting in church being angry at God. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I remember saying some pretty wicked things. I remember saying, God, I know you're going to provide a way I, I trust you, actually, that if I wait, you'll provide a way. But I really want it right now. And I'm really angry that you're making me wait. I don't want to wait on you. And I hate the fact that this worship leader is exhorting me to in this stupid song. And I've had moments, a handful of moments like that. I don't know how many people here have had moments like that, where it's like, eh, I'm angry about this objective thing over here. And then you realize, actually, God's in control of this objective thing. Things, moments like that, whether you've articulated it that way or not, it should make you tremble. You should realize a lot of your anger, all of your anger, ultimately, I think, is directed at God, our sovereign creator who is in control of all things. So tremble when you get angry. A second way to fight bad anger is to figure out where it's actually coming from. I said bad anger begins with I deserve, I want, I covet something. So what do you actually want? Get to the root of it. Sometimes you have to actually kind of psychoanalyze yourself and figure it out or talk to somebody wise, a pastor, or you know, talk it out with your spouse, whatever. Uh, another time in the, in the joyful buildup towards me and Meredith moving to Evansville, a very tense time in our life and in our marriage and in everything. Um, we were working at youth group in Bloomington, and I was on some kind of diet. Obviously, it worked wonders. I wasn't supposed to eat X, Y, and Z. Maybe it was, a keto. It was when we were doing keto. But they handed out ice cream sandwiches, and it had been a long day, so I ate an ice cream sandwich. And then we got in the car to drive home from youth group, and Meredith was like, why did you eat that ice cream sandwich? What's wrong with you? And I was like, well, really? You're angry about this ice cream? I mean, it's, you know, I think actually technically in my calorie counting, like it it's fine. It didn't violate whatever. And we went round and around and around about this ice cream sandwich. And finally, I just said, like, what is the deal? Why are you so mad at me about this ice cream sandwich? And she said, because you haven't given me a comprehensive plan for what steps we're going to take to make it to Evansville, and we don't have any vision. I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's a perfectly reasonable reason to be mad about this ice cream sandwich, now that you mention it. I was being a bad husband, a bad leader, a bad 
vision caster at that point. I, I'm glad we worked through it. But it started as an ice cream sandwich fight, and neither one of us could make any sense of it. Like, we were both just fighting about it, and both, her included, like, why are we fighting about this? What's, what's, what's going on here? Sometimes you have to work through things, and you have to think through things, and you have to realize, what is it that I actually want? And I think that that's the, the question. I think if, if, if you're just, you know, sometimes you just walk, wake up and you feel angry, or you go somewhere, or you see somebody and you feel angry, you don't even know where it's coming from. I think saying, why am I angry is a good question, but maybe an even better one is, what do I want? What do I think I deserve in this situation that I'm not getting? Because that's always pretty much going to get to the heart of anger. Third way we can fight our anger. If bad anger begins with, I deserve, if it begins with something selfish, at our core. And I think the opposite of, I mean, what would you say? If the opposite of it, what's the opposite of anger? Peacefulness, uh, contentedness. I think actually a good way to think about it is that the opposite of anger is humility. Because it is pride. It is, like I said, it is us making ourselves the God of our universe that causes us to get angry about stupid things and sometimes angry about important things. And so, we need to have a right view of ourselves before God. And that's all humility is. It's, it's, humility isn't, ah, oh, I'm so stupid, whip, whip, whip. Humility is, I know my place. I know God's God. I know I'm me. And I know he's a good God, and I know he wants good things for me, even if he disciplines me. Uh, if you read that, so James 4 is one of my favorite passages, and we don't have time to read the whole thing. But you remember I read the part from verses 1 and 2 where it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? Well, he develops that theme, and he eventually gives an answer. And I encourage you to read it on your own time, but I'll sum it up for us. The answer, and he says this in several different ways, is humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's James 4.10. Humble yourself. Realize God is good. God is a good father. He wants to give you good things, and you can submit to him, and you can trust to him. You do not have to be the God of your universe. God is the God of your universe. And this, of course, is how we deal with fear. And I haven't said enough how much fear really is at the heart of angry, you know, of, of, of anger. You know, I'm, I'm so afraid my husband won't love me that I just, I, I don't feel like I have any control over that. And I, and I want that. And so I get angry at him. I'm so afraid my wife won't respect me. I'm so afraid my boss won't give me the promotion. I'm so afraid I raised my kids wrong. I'm so afraid of whatever and, the, and, and I feel so impotent, and I want control over those things. I, 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 the only way that I know how to feel like I have any control over everything in my life that's just spiraling constantly out of control is by seizing violent control of it through my anger. And the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You don't get what you want. You don't actually seize control. It's false. It's something that Satan is 
lying to you about. If you're just angry, you can seize control of this thing you feel helpless. Wrong. False. The only way to actually have control is to give your fears to God, to trust him, to let him be in control, to give your anxieties to him, like we talked about back in uh, Philippians. So I think so much of what I've said today about fighting anger is like big picture kind of orient your life rightly towards God stuff. The final thing I want to say is very practical, which is control your anger. Control it. Proverbs 12, 16. We'll read three more Proverbs and make a little application and then we'll be done. Proverbs 12, 16 says, the vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Here's an idea. We are not possessed by our anger, like an evil force, like a demon that fills us up that we have no control over. Sometimes it feels like that. Sometimes we act like that. Sometimes it's almost like that because the anger is so overpowering. But we have some measure of control over our spirits. Even pagans without Christ can control themselves, can choose not to say things. And the only proof that you need of that is I don't talk the same way to my friends as I do to my wife. You know, we don't talk the same way to our boss that we do to our kids. Like, In one case, it feels like, wow, I have no control over my anger. And then it turns out in the other case, when you feel like there's something at stake, you do. You can say no to yourself. You can feel very badly. You can have something flame up. And you can choose not to vent it. You can choose to take a moment. You can choose to give a soft answer. First, you do have to be doing all the big picture stuff, humbling yourself before God, having a right view, a contented view. Uh, Second, you have to be working through your conflicts in a humble way. You know, none of what I've said is against saying, oh, you know, honey, if the kids could pick up their toys before I get home. You know, things that we want aren't bad. It's when we want them in a selfish, grasping way that it flares up and unrighteous anger. You know, it's funny, I said it's complicated. I'll just say here, this is how complicated it is. Sometimes you get home and the toys are all over the floor and you have righteous anger about something that affects you personally. And that's a weird thing, you know, for dads and moms and people like that. Uh, It's like, this is an insult to me, and I should. I think I deserve something, but also I know in God's economy that I do, in the position I'm in, deserve something here, and I should be angry. You know, it's complicated. That's why you have to be mature in the way that you think through these things, and the way that you look at these things, and the way that you fight through these things with your significant other. So you work through your conflicts in a humble way. Honey, I may care too much about bacon, but you can help me by ordering some more. You can order your own stacker burger at Burger King next time, please. You can prepare yourself for your, the, the moments that you know are triggering. Meredith is going to be annoying about food. She likes to steal all of my food. I must 
we have worked through this. She is working on it. She's being sanctified. It is not all changing today. It is going, we, are go, we are pulling into Burger King. It's time to say a little prayer. It's time to love her anyway. It's time to just order an extra burger, whatever, you know. If we put some thought into it, we can figure out a lot of what our triggers are and be prepared for them. I'm going to circle the drive a couple times before I walk through the door, you know, and see the kids so that I can settle down and transition from work to home. Uh, whatever it is, I'm going to leave for work on time so I'm not yelling at other drivers. We, we do all that. We do the big picture stuff. We do the practical preparatory work. But then we're still left with, by the power of the Spirit in us, we are called to say no. There's a time where you did everything right, I guess. You tried your best to do all the big picture stuff, but you're still feeling angry. And you just need to give a soft answer. You just need to chill. You just need to take a second. And that's a wonderful thing. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And self-control means controlling yourself, not always doing the things that you want. You know, it's, it's a cool thing to work on in, in a lot of ways. It's if we're all recruits, you know, into the army of the king of kings, you don't want to be a level one soldier who can only swing an axe your whole life. You want to have control. You want to be able to, you know, wield your sword and parry and thrust and sheathe and pull out and strike a killing blow. And what I mean is you want to be able to have control over your spirit, over your emotions, over your feelings, over your speech. It's a wonderful thing, a really cool thing, something that will serve you well in this life and in eternity to come. It will serve him well, and it will keep you out of a lot of trouble. So it is something to work on. Let's pray. Dear Father, I do pray that you would give us control over our spirits. You would help us to trust you, to be content, to love you, and to not give ourselves to unrighteous anger. In Jesus' name, amen.